0: You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. I'll tell you what, I'm so glad to see you all out this morning. Thanks for braving the weather and coming in. But isn't it cool how God always gives us a little break right here in Memphis, Indiana? I drove in through storms and crazy winds, and when I got here, stopped, right? And it wasn't because of me. But I'm guessing it's because of you. And God desired your presence here today, all of us. And I'm so glad that you came out. And Those that are joining us online, we're always glad to have you. And many of our families are traveling this weekend and it's great to hear from you that are tuning in right now and send me a message after the service to let me know about your holiday. That's the other thing that I recognize this morning is that many of you braved the holiday this week. I can't tell you how many times that I thought about you And your situations uh, both positive changes that have happened and the changes that have come because there were people missing from our tables for various reasons but i thought about you and have been praying for you and i'm so glad that you uh, persevered through yet another holiday for some of you the first holiday well, grab your Bible with me and let's turn to 1 Timothy, the book towards the back of your Bible where we've been the last several weeks. This is our final weekend in our series, Set Apart, and this weekend we're in chapter 6 again where Brandon left off last week, and we're going to look at the subject of character. Character, the, the thoughts, the actions, the feelings of those who have been called, who've been set apart by Christ. Here in chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, Paul sets out a comparison, if you will, between those who were identified as false prophets, false teachers. I'm just going to call them frauds for the purpose of our context this weekend. Those who put on a look, uh, uh, an idea that they believed that they were Christ followers, but who who taught something completely different. And, and here, what Paul does with Timothy is he draws a contrast between them and their character and the character that those of us who are set apart by Christ, in this case, Timothy, are to have through Christ Jesus living inside of us, as we just sang. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Paul writes to you and to me, the church in Ephesus, and of course to Timothy when he says, but you, man of God, I I want you to underline that. This is one of two places in the New Testament that this title, man of God, is used. That that means something. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Man of God. I, I remember the first time someone didn't refer to me as reverend. You know, it it was so hard for me to get used to all these different titles, pastor, right? But the first time someone said "man of God," I think I was being introduced at a funeral or something like that. It it really set me back. I'm like, no, just call me Dave. But I I went home and I and I looked at this title that had been assigned to me and that's being assigned to Peter or, or Peter to Timothy. Uh, right here. It it was used maybe less than a dozen times in the Bible, and it was ascribed to men like Moses and and David, uh, Elijah and Elisha, prophets of God, Samuel, man of God. The title man of God or woman of God or person of God refers to someone who is possessed by God, who is wholly possessed by God. Uh, We just sang a song about Christ in me, my, my hope, my redeemer. And you and I at our baptism, when we receive Christ, we receive his spirit. He dwells within us. And so a man of God, a person of God is someone who is possessed by God, who also speaks for God. And you say, well, that's just a pastor's job to speak for God. That's not true. Your life speaks for God. As a person set apart, as a person chosen by God, your life, your character, if you will, either points people to Christ or points people to something or someone else. It's a contrast that speaks to the character of those who believe and follow Christ and those who do not. And so this weekend, I want us to look at these five character traits that Paul goes ahead and sets out for Christ's followers. Five traits that stand in stark contrast to the character of those who are in the world today. And right off the bat, in verse 11, Paul begins with this The man, the woman of God, flees from sin. He flees from sin. Here, Paul says, the man of God, flee from these things. Now, we might say, we might want to think that Paul should have said, stand firm, right? Because in Ephesians, that's the way he said. He stand firm against the devil, against Satan and his attacks. James said that we should fight, that we should resist him. But Paul doesn't say that here. Why? Because there are some times... There are sometimes that we should flee. We should flee from sin, sinful things. My first thought went to Joseph in the book of Genesis chapter 39. Anybody remember the account of Joseph? It's a great account to go back and look at, especially when you feel like you're getting hammered, like Dave Swearin's over here. Not only was the holiday tough for him, but this morning at 4.30, his dog went out And encountered a skunk and then came running right back in the house i met dave at the door this morning about 8 30 and he said do i smell like skunk and i said well i don't know come a little closer but he spent the first four hours of his day getting the skunk off of him and the dog and the couch and the rest of the house where the dog went but the story of joseph the account of joseph in his life is he's one of those guys that if something bad could happen to him It happened to him. But yet we see his character, his godly character through every circumstance. And so my first thought went to Joseph and and how right away after he was sold out by his brothers into slavery, he was taken to Egypt. And remember, he went to serve in a man by the name of Potiphar's house. And while he was serving in the house, Joseph was apparently hot. He was stacked. He was built right good-looking guy like a lot of you guys in the crowd not so much right and this potiphar's wife was gorgeous the scripture never holds back she she was a hottie that's the message version but anyway (laughs) so here's this this stud of a man and here's this hottie and they find themselves alone in a moment a vulnerable moment in the house and she makes no bones about it but she says joseph Come to bed with me. Now, she wasn't wanting him to spoon her, you know, cuddle up next to her, take a nap. She was wanting him. Now, Joseph could have resisted, right? Joseph could have stood firm and said, no, no, that's not me, and and gone on about his his day. But what did he do? He fled. He fled. He fast-footed it out of there, You see, the need to flee sin is taught throughout Scripture. Believers are called to flee sexual immorality, just as Joseph did. And you say, what's sexual immorality? Well, it's a full gamut of things. Men, women, people of God, we should not be living together outside of the bond of marriage. Men, women, people of God, we should not be experimenting with what the world says is a natural thing. It is not natural at all for a woman to have relations with another woman or a man with a man or a man with animals. The Bible's very clear about these things. The things that we look at on the internet or that pop up on our phone and catch our eye and we just keep scrolling. We're to flee these things. You know, sometimes that means you need to get rid of your device. That's what it is to flee. We're told to flee idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything, anyone, in the place of God. We need to flee these things in our life. If it's an athletic event or a sport that has your full attention, if it's a grandchild that is taking you away from being in the house of God, you need to examine that because these things have become idols in your life. We're to flee those things. We're to flee youthful lust. And that's not just talking about sexual lust. That's just the idea that when we are young, especially when we're young in our faith, and we see all of these things that we want, I mean, we've been there. We want so many Things And they pull us this way. They pull us that way. They they cause us to want to work all the time and not have any time for family or the things that matter. And in this case, the love of money, as Brandon addressed last week, this is what Paul is saying when he says, you, man of God, flee these things. Proverbs 22, 3 says, a shrewd person sees danger and hides himself. But the naive keep right on going and suffer for it. Now, when we flee something, right? When I'm leaving behind something and fleeing from it, just like Joseph running out of Potiphar's house, right? He was missing his robe, which that's a whole other story. But when we're fleeing something, we're also running towards something. We are going towards something or someone, And that's where Paul takes us next. He says in verse 11, but you men of God flee from all of this and run toward godly character, right? Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue, pursue love, endurance, and gentleness. See, not only is the man of God known by what he flees, but by what he pursues. And Paul lists six, and there's many more, but he lists six godly traits that the man of God, the woman of God pursues, and the first is righteousness. That's not a word that we use in our everyday language. Boy, you sure are a righteous guy. We've said a few times, you're sure self-righteous, right? And we know that that's a slam. But what we're talking about here when he says pursue righteousness, he's not talking about that righteousness given to us By Jesus Christ. Yes, we are made righteous by Jesus Christ who gave his life, who took the penalty for our sin, your sin and mine. That's imputed righteousness. That's righteousness that we are given. What he's talking about is our outward righteousness. Because God saved us and made us righteous, we pursue a lifestyle of right living. Believers, believers should be known for serving others, caring for the neglected, putting others' needs equal to or above our own. Righteousness is evangelizing the lost, telling them about Christ, discipling other believers, worshiping God. This is what it is to pursue righteousness. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, though, although a righteous person may fall seven times, he gets up again. Well, what's this telling us? It it, it tells us that we are not perfect. We are not perfect. We are made perfect by Christ. When when God looks at us, he sees Christ and not us. That's what it is to have his righteousness. But when we fall, we get back up. When we fall, we don't just wallow in it and stay living in these sinful things, but we are in pursuit of looking like our Lord Jesus, which is the second trait, a word that we don't hear very much, and that's godliness. The man of God pursues godliness. What's godliness mean? It means that we are to honor, to please. We are to reflect God's character in our thoughts, and in our actions according to what his word says not what we imagine it to say or not what we've made it to say but according to his word paul wrote earlier in chapter 4 verse 8 he said godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for today's living the present life and for the life to come i asked the students last night is godliness a character trait that you look for in others. But what about yourself? When you're lining yourself up in the mirror, do you see godliness? The third is faith or faithfulness. Now, faithfulness can mean dependability. That, that's the way that we use it today. That, that day, he always shows up right on time. He, he's so dependable. But I think the faithfulness that Paul is referring to is living by faith. Living according to God's perfect will in all things. It it means that we trust him. Oh, I trust him. Well, faithfulness is believing that God is who he says he is and continuing in that belief even when our circumstances are displeasing to us. Even when we're struggling. People ask me all the time, what does God want me to do in this situation? And the answer is always be faithful. You, what, what do you mean I'm faithful? I'm here, I'm here every week. No, no, be, be faithful. What do I do in my marriage? My, my spouse doesn't love me back the way that I love them. Have you noticed that, that you're never on the same page? It's very rare that you're on the same page with your, your spouse one of you is really into serving the other or or giving to each other or encouraging to the other. And and, and at that moment in time, your husband or your wife, they're just not there with you, right? And then about the time that you get just wore out with it, then all of a sudden they're loving and they're kind. And and it it happens all the time. And couples come and say, what am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to be faithful. Well, what do you mean? Do the things that God's commanded you to do. Be faithful to those things. The feelings will come around later. Well, you're, you're talking about faking it and tell you make it. That's not what I said. There's no faking here. You are to truly honor. You're to truly love. You, you get what I'm saying? And, and that's what he's talking about. When he's talking about faithfulness. What does God want me to do with my ministry? He wants you to be faithful. Somebody said to me, what's your five-year plan? Well, it's the same as it was last year, right? To meet the people that God brings to himself and to encourage them and disciple them, to tell them the truth, to teach them Jesus' commands, to see them give their life to Jesus Christ. What more do you need? Oh, you're talking about a building, aren't you? Well, that'll come when it comes because we're doing what we're supposed to do here first, fourth. The man of God pursues love. You know, in our culture, we think that love isn't something we choose or work at, but we simply fall into it, kind of like falling into a ditch, right? It it just happens. But that's infatuation, and I'm grateful for infatuation. That's what brought, I would say, most all of us together, was infatuation. That... That feeling, that sentiment, that, that romance maybe even that, that, you know, goes away when you get married, right? It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. But I will tell you this, that when you do get married, you discover what love really is, and that is love is a choice. It's an act of the will. It's involves sacrifice. God commands us to not only love love him and to love our neighbor but to love our enemy our enemies as well and loving our enemies isn't something we fall into it's something we choose and it's something that we stretch toward it's something that we do by his power within us and it's the same with loving others you see these things that we're to pursue are the things of christ many of them the fruit of his spirit right in galatians five twenty. Six, that we're to keep in step with. Next, we're to pursue endurance. Endurance. Endurance is how a man or woman of God strives to go through the trials and difficulties. Our natural response to trials and difficulties is what? To give up. To, to step back. Oh, it's been a tough month, so we're just going to hang out here. And then when everything gets a little bit better, we'll, we'll be back. No, that's not endurance. And let me also be clear, endurance is isn't showing up, but complaining and being angry and avoiding certain people or situations. That's not endurance either. Endurance is realizing that this situation is one that you are going to have to walk through. You might even have to suffer through, but you realize it's all part of the journey. And many times it's part of what we're commanded to do in sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Much of what we experience is not new. It's the same things that Christ had to endure in his human flesh while he was here on this earth. Romans 5.3 says that we should rejoice in suffering because it produces something. It produces endurance. It produces perseverance. And perseverance, what does that do? That creates character. And character produces hope. How in the world does that happen? Well, if character is core right and it's developed by persevering through trials and difficulties don't trials and difficulties raise to the top those impurities in your life don't don't they raise up to the top those weaknesses in your life that need yet to be surrendered to Christ and so if character is core if character if this is who we are that we're a Christ follower that we're a man or that we're a woman of God then as we endure and there's no fraud, there's no faking it, when we trust God above our feelings, well, that produces great hope because we know that if we've gone through this, we can endure much more with his help and with his presence. King David wrote, you, God, have given me the shield of your salvation And your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. And that's the sixth character trait that we're to pursue and that is gentleness. It refers to our response to to not the people that are so easy to get along with, but the difficult people. Uh, a couple of days ago, Sarah and I were going through Wendy's. Olivia's homesick with the flu that half of your families have got right now, and the only thing that would make her feel well was a uh, chocolate frosty. Anybody else? It, it helps so much better than Claritin or any of the other drugs that you can get. But chocolate frosty, go get one and make you new, just like that. And so we're in line at Wendy's. The lobby is closed because they don't have enough people working right to have the lobby open waited in line there's only two cars we waited finally got up to the girl that had taken our order she asked for the two dollars and whatever it was for a frosty i handed it to her and she handed me my receipt and i said thank you for working today and sarah about fell out of the car she's like what are you doing being so nice that's not like you and i said i'm really trying you know Some days I really try. Some days I want to be the gentle person that God calls me to be. There's other days I just want to lay people out, right? And my tongue can do that. I can be pretty rough sometimes with my criticisms or my frustrations with individuals. But gentleness... Gentleness is the picture of a powerful workhorse like my Amish neighbor's big horses that he can plow things with that my tractor won't plow, right? But to be under control. You know, I can have all of this frustration. I can be upset that the lobby's not open or that I got a vanilla frosting instead of a chocolate one, or I can be kind. I choose kindness. Kindness. I've shared with you how proud I am of my wife, Sarah, and her completion of her second marathon just a couple weeks ago. But what I haven't described to you is the image of her finish, right? She's been running 26 miles. We get up there after a men's breakfast just within an hour of seeing her finish. And so we're crowded around all these people. We've worked our way up to the line. It's our turn to take pictures. And she comes around... For the last less than a quarter mile, we, we get to see her on just maybe, I don't know, 900 yards or something coming down the finish line. And, and I look up and instead of her arms just being limp and, and a frown on her face, even tears on her eyes. These are all images that I saw uh, all around. Her. P- people, people are so strange when they run or they try to run. I, it's something to go see, really. This has come from somebody that can't run a mile. But after 26 miles, people just look awful, right? Got stuff running down their leg Anyway, I see my wife coming down this, and I had a video, but she wouldn't let me show it this morning. But she came running down, and she still had perfect form. Her, her form, she's a beautiful runner. She had a smile on her face. She was leaning in to the finish line. And you say, well, good for her. Well, what really made that so special to me was that she had run the last forty-four hours in 40-mile-per-hour winds. She had run in rain that had her shoes so wet that she now had blisters on top of blisters. She had trained for the last year with me following her around on the side-by-side. Side. I've watched her run 18 miles up and down the hills of Leota, Indiana, and I've seen her run with shin splints. And, and, I, and I've seen her put ice on her feet at night because she has this, this immune disorder thing that's like arthritis. And sometimes her bones feel like they're mashing together and just grinding together. And to see her come down that finish line with her head up, with her body leaning forward, I swear she could have run another 26 miles if she needed to. And she did all of that, why? Not because she's an amazing runner, but because she trained for it. It was who she is as a runner. And this is what Paul is directing Timothy to be. To not put on this act or this character, but to be this man, you and I, to be these people, of God. This is who we are, remember? This is how we think. This is how we feel. And this is what our actions look like. Paul continues in verse 12. He says something very familiar. He says, fight the good fight of faith. He would later come back in the second letter and he would speak of himself at the end of his life or what he thought was the end of his life. And he would say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race, right? I've kept the faith. What is the good fight of faith? Well, the good fight of faith is that battle that's within every one of us as believers, and that is to either give up or to give in. (laughs) That's the fight that we have, is is whether we're going to give up, whether we're going to give in, or whether we're going to continue to persevere. And see, the man of God, the woman of God, fights for what he doesn't yet See. See, long before Sarah came down that last stretch, she couldn't see the finish line. She couldn't see what was ahead of her, but she knew she had a long distance to go. She knew the preparation that she had made and she knew that she had three choices. She could give up, she could give in to the discomfort, the winds the blisters, or she could persevere. She could continue to fight. And the man of God fights what he doesn't see. That's that's the essence of our faith, our belief that what we hope for, that we can be certain of those things, even though we can't see them at the moment. We know what God's required of us and why we can't always see how it's going to play out situation we lean into it we press on toward it and we don't give up or give in we understand that without this fight so much is at jeopardy not just our own salvation but the salvation of our family members or or those that are waiting to see our testimony that need to see our faithful finish young people who are watching your marriage how you deal with grief How you deal with financial prosperity or financial ruin. So fight. Fight, even when you don't see what's ahead. And then he says, take hold, in verse 12, of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. How many of you have made that good confession? I believe Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, and I accept him, I accept his salvation as savior, but I also accept the reality that he's now Lord of my life. In that moment, when we confessed him, when we're baptized into him, that's the moment that we received his spirit. And God's word says that that's a deposit. That's a seal for us that guarantees us eternal life on the day of his return for us now at times scripture refers to eternal life as something in the future but it also refers to the present we see this in john 17 3 where christ says that this eternal life knowing god the father and the son and i think that this is where paul is directing us to live it's in this present reality that we should seek and live out We're to take hold of the eternal life that we're called to. We're to take hold of it, though, right now. Not next month. Not when we're on our deathbed. But we should take hold of it today. Now, I've often said deathbed confessions are just that. Their deathbed confessions. You, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have seen your own family members do this. They wait until they know that their life is coming to an end. Sometimes in the final hour, I've been with people and taken their profession of faith. Do they get to go to heaven? I believe they do because God keeps His promises. He said, You believe on me, you have eternal life. You repent, you turn, right? You receive eternal life. You're baptized, you receive eternal life. But my friends, those who wait until the final hour have wasted the best years of their life. They've wasted the best years of their relationships, their their work, their serving others when they live those years without God. Uh, Bill, I can't imagine the last 43 years since I was 10 years old and gave my life to I can't imagine living these 43 years without God. And you say, Oh, Dave, didn't you want to live life first? Didn't you want to sow some wild oats first? Didn't you want to party with your friends? Not, not really. Didn't you want to explore your sexuality? Well, not at the risk of losing Him. Not, not at the risk of dishonoring him. Not at the risk of filling my mind with pig squeals and my life with painful consequences that would follow me over the next 43 years. There's been enough times that I've denied him and I've got to live with that. I can't imagine living these years of my eternal life right here on this planet in such a wasted way is to live them without God. This is what Paul is saying. Don't waste these years. Realize that eternity starts now. Live in the eternity, the eternal life that God has given you when you made that good confession. He concludes in verse 13. It's my favorite part of the passage. He says, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, the governor, the highest official in the area there of Roman control, when in the presence of Pontius Pilate, Jesus made the good confession. I charge you, Timothy, to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen and can see, to him be honor and might forever. Paul reminds us here who it is that has called us, who it is that has set us apart. He's saying, Timothy, he's saying, David, he's, he's saying, Dan, don't do this half-heartedly. Don't just do it when you feel like it, when you're all fired up. Don't do this and skip the hard parts. He said, instead, he looks at us in the eye and his words, never any stronger words when he says, Kirk and Tom, Dan, David, Nancy. You are in the presence of the holy God who gave you life. His son, Jesus Christ, who while on this earth as a man, openly told the government and all who could hear him about his faith. Promise me, Timothy, promise God that you will do the same that you'll obey completely, not half-heartedly, but fully all that you've been told until Jesus Christ returns for you for the rest of your life, Timothy. And why? Because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the immortal God. He's the creator of all things. He's the one who gave it all for you, Timothy. He's the one voice that you should listen to. This, Timothy, is what it is to be set apart. This is what it is to be a man, a woman of God. It's different. It's different than the world. And in this case, it's certainly different than those false teachers who have come among you. I simply ask you this weekend, what does that charge do to you? I've got to tell you, it stirred me this week. It reminded me of the greatness of the one that I have been called to serve, that you have been called to live for. It's not just having a great job. It's not just being a good person, but it's honoring the one who gave you life and then bought your life back even before you screwed it up, knowing what that you would do. He bought it back. It sure fired Timothy up, but not just for a day. Timothy went on to complete the task he was called for. No matter how hard it was or difficult, he was faithful. He was faithful until the end. Uh, Other literature tells us that he was martyred for his faith, like many of the other disciples were. See, though your calling is immense... And this call to be set apart, it's a huge call. But the God who set you apart is far greater and will enable you to do it. (laughs) And so those times when you're thinking, the last thing that I can do right now is be faithful in my marriage. I am so tired of this. (laughs) Those times where we've gone places that we had no business going. But now our reputations follow this. It's by his power that you can be a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. I I want you to put your stuff down for a minute. I want you to stand up with me. God, I just heard an awful groan back there. You need to eat more bacon, it'll limber up your joints. But I want you to consider these next four or five statements and, and and i want you before they come out of your mouth i want you to listen to me say them and then if you believe this if you want to live this i want you to repeat it after me so the first statement is this i believe jesus is the christ the son of the living god do, do you believe that yes or no okay then i want you to repeat it after me i believe Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God now this next one if you believe that this next one is a little bit more difficult I'm just saying you believe it now let's talk about living it and that's this next statement that God is greater than anything or anyone else now I want you to be careful before you say that I know he is he knows he is so you're not trying to convince him of this but do you believe it I want you to think about the circumstances of your life I want you to think about maybe your experiences on Thanksgiving day a day that you dreaded because of the loss you've experienced is God greater than anything or anyone else if he is then I want you to repeat it after me God is greater than anything anyone else I'm called and set apart by him do you know that every one of you as God's created you have been called by him and the way that you are set apart for service to him is by surrendering your life to him in Christian baptism repenting turning from the way that you were going and facing Him, and pursuing Him. And that's where all of these godly character traits come from, from pursuing Him. So if you believe this, repeat this. I am called, I am called. and set apart, set apart by Him. And if you're called and set apart, you need to know that God has a purpose for everything. He has a purpose for you and your life. In the situations that you have brought upon yourself and those that have been brought upon you by others' choices. And so do you believe that God has given me a purpose and a plan for my life? God has given me a purpose and a plan for my life. And so if you believe all of these things that you've just said, then the final statement is your commitment. And that is, I fully surrender to his will in all things. Again, I caution you, because all things is all things. Every aspect of your life, your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. I fully surrender to his will in all things. Let me pray for you. And if you want to raise a hand to God, you can, because he's the one that we need to be reaching out to right now. God, we stand before you humbled that you would call us. We acknowledge that there are times when the call seems too great. And it is. It's too great to to accomplish. It's too great to be a man or a woman of God without God, without you. But Lord, you gave us your spirit. You give us your presence. Your presence that instructs us and guides us. But it also empowers us, God. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at our disposal to align our lives with your perfect plan and will for every situation. And so in this moment right now, God, we respond to you with our hands lifted, representing that our hearts are open. And so have your way with us as we say yes again, or maybe yes for the first time for real to you now. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, it's more than a prayer. It's more than something that you do with a raised hand. But it is when you come and you stand before men and you say, I believe Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as Savior and Lord of my life. And because he's Lord of your life, you follow the rest of his plan, which is that you be immersed in water, that you be baptized, that though you are buried with Christ, you will then be raised with Christ. Not just on the last day, but today, because eternity has already begun. It's just a matter of whether we're going to live it for Him or live it for ourselves. If you'd like someone to pray with you about character and about the challenges that you're going through, and and God's willingness and power to come alongside of you, we'll. Brandon or I would be honored to to encourage you in that way. This is our desire. If it's your desire, lift up your voice to him now and express it to him.